better, right? Right? Okay. I was going to say, can't spend time in God's presence and not be better after, right? Uh, Hopefully, it's the same for you at home, that you're enjoying God's presence with us. Um, I didn't introduce myself earlier, but uh, in case we haven't met, I'm Wendy. I'm the co-lead pastor here at Mercy Vineyard Church. And I'm so glad that you are all here. We're going to say our mission statement together before we get into things. Um, So we can go. Oh, she's got it up there already. Let's say it together. We are living a passionate mission to love, grow, and go for the greater glory of God. Yes. So this morning we're continuing a four-part series called Agents. Agents. Um, And we're talking about the role of the church body as people who carry out the mission of God's kingdom in our world. And Lee, um, like I talked about earlier last week, Lee talked about being agents of generosity and, and, and what that means. How do we give that part of our lives to God and give him complete control? Because that's what that is, right? And that's what tithing does is help take us the first step in that direction to allowing him to have say over how we spend our money, Right. And then the first week he talked about an agent of hope and how an agent of hope is always on mission. We are always on mission. So Jesus' life in me, like we just sang, needs to be evident. Um, And our words should reflect hope so that we can be the hope to the world. Um, And today we're going to talk about being agents of change. It's a timely message, isn't it? No, I know we're all over change, but <laughs> that's what, no, we're talking about good change. We're talking about good change. Um, okay, so some of you may know this about me and Lee already, but in, we've lived in approximately 20 different places in the almost 28 years we've been married. It's an average of how many times per year? I don't know. <laughs> but we've been in our last home for, in our, the home we're in now, we've been there for how many years, Cole? Eight? Eight years. He's my time person. Um, so eight years we've been in that house. So for the 20 years prior, we lived in about 19 different places. <laughs> um, so talk about change. You would have hated it. Um, So that includes every temporary place in someone else's home. That includes um, every apartment, every house. Um, At one time, we lived in a hotel for about a month with two small children. That was in Connecticut. Also in Connecticut, we lived in a camper for a month with two small children. That was attached. It was outside of the... um, church building so we had to go into the church building to shower and eat breakfast and because it wasn't hooked up the camper was not hooked up do you remember that forest what yeah Mm -hmm. living in the camper yeah we had our um the the stage at the church had two closets on either side for like their sound equipment that's where our suitcases were (laughs) And I remember the day like that we did that. We, I laid out all the suitcases on the floor at the altar <laughs> because I had to rearrange them so that I only had to dig in one or two of them each day instead of, where are our forest clothes? I don't even know. <laughs> like, yeah. 
We went to a laundromat. Oh, it was terrible. You can tell I have PTSD from that experience. So when we moved to Connecticut, you, you're going to love this. They put us in a hotel because the house we were supposed to be in wasn't ready, so we were in a large hotel. The hotel had a kitchen and everything, but still. Two small children. Then I think Cole was not quite two, so that meant Forrest was like four-ish, five. And then um, we had to move out of the hotel, so we were in the camper. <laughs> and then the house that we were in, the, the previous youth pastors were still in it, and so we just moved in with them. I kid you not. <laughs> Two families living together in a three-bedroom home. So that was fun. So I know a little bit about change is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> and you would think that all of that change would make, you know, you would think that when you hear that, that we like change, that Lee and I really like change. We don't, like, love it. Um, but I do honestly think that all of that adapting that we had to do really helped me because I'm not fond of change. And so it, it really helped me, though, to learn to adjust to it a lot faster because I had to. There was no choice. Um, but I think if I asked for a show of hands, how many like change? There wouldn't be too many. Like, once we get used to it, it's fine, right? But the initial is not good. Even if it's, because a lot of times we fear what we don't know, right? And so when we come into something new or, or we're talking about change, it sounds scary to us. Um, but as followers of Christ, we're called to be change agents in the world. So, <laughs> in other words, we've been commissioned to extend God's kingdom. So... When we look at the state of our world today, it's more than obvious that change is needed. Amen? <laughs> Amen. We could be old school today. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Okay. Um, we have real race and gender issues. Um, and it seems that right now, a lot of people are living just below the boiling point. Right? There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety. Um, the strain is increasing. Many people feel angry, depressed, right? And there's a feeling that something must be done, and it's got to be done quick. We need a good change right now. And Jesus brought change and transformation when he was on earth, but it wasn't necessarily the way people expected. Um, the disciples asked him in Acts or asked him, yeah, in Acts 1-6, if Jesus was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. They wanted a political and military overthrow of Rome and a restoration to the kingdom. And what they missed was that Jesus' kingdom was already come. And his kingdom is real and present. It is breaking through in our world today. Um, it's all around us, and we're just, we have to partner with him and expanding it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, that doesn't mean that the church should become a subculture who is known for what we don't like, right? We're to be known for our love. The church is made to be known for our love. It doesn't matter what we don't like if we're not loving in the way that we share with others. 
So our relationship with God and with one another is paramount to bringing the good news, and the church is to actively and creatively present a new reality in a broken world. But what does that look like to expand God's kingdom? I mean, we can talk about that, that we're supposed to expand God's kingdom, but how do we do that in the world today? So we're going to talk about that, but we're going to pray first. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you are already doing in our midst today. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Once again, we just invite you. We know you're here, but we want to give you full and complete control. And we want to be listening for your voice as you speak today. God, I ask that you would um, not let me speak anything you don't want me to, and that I would speak what you want me to say. Bring your kingdom in this place this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's start by looking at Jesus' words in Luke 4, um, verses 18 and 19. Excuse me. He read from Isaiah. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This was Jesus's mission, and now it's ours. So here's what I want you to take with you this morning. Change comes as we seek to demonstrate the invading presence of God's kingdom. We already talked about how his kingdom is already real, it's present, and it's active, but we have to demonstrate it to the world. And this is one of the leadership values here at Mercy, and it's actually the commitment of the vineyard as a whole, the vineyard movement. Um, We're committed to proclaiming the kingdom of God and to bearing witness to the deeds of the kingdom through physical, emotional, and social healing, doing justice, and delivering those held captive by evil. That is what the vineyard is about. And the kingdom of God is the future reign of God breaking in to the present through the life and ministry of Jesus. So we are called to confront injustice. But what are some of the ways we can do that? So the DNA of the vineyard, has they have that written right into their values. So I'm going to share some of those with you this morning. So you get like a little class on vineyard DNA too at the same time. Lucky you. Um, the first thing is we must partner with the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is active among us. That's why we invite him to, to come and have his way. And if we allow him to lead in our lives, The Bible says it produces the fruits of the Spirit in us. So Galatians 5, 22 to 23 lists those fruits for us. These are the things that come out of us if we allow the Holy Spirit to have leadership. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, how many of us can produce any of these much less all of them in our own strength without the Spirit's help. Can anyone do that? No. No. How many of us need that list in our lives in abundance right now? 
like right now. Like, if, even if you look at it and go, okay, which one do I need the most right now? I can't pick. <laughs> I need them all. <laughs> so our job is to not only try to accomplish what's humanly possible, but to find power from him to do the things we could never do on our own. Right? So do any of us have the answers of what it will take to heal racial injustice in our world? No. Do any of us know how to bring about gender equality all by ourselves? Or to feed the poor? No. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us. We have to partner with him. He's already at work. So let's just find out what he's doing and do it with him. Next, we need to eliminate the divide between sacred and secular. We often compartmentalize our lives, don't we? So we have um, church, prayer, and worship in one little box. And then we have work over here. And then we have our family and our leisure time over here. And sometimes we don't blend those together. And God doesn't see things this way. And you know, it's through worship and experiences in God's presence that those things, those compartmentalizations begin to fade. They begin to just, our whole life becomes about surrender to him, right? So, um, to become, or no, we become more sensitive and more responsive to his spirit and what he's saying when we spend time in worship. Have you noticed that? So when we're spending time just exalting him and looking at him and adoring him for who he is, and we take our eyes off of everything else and we're looking at him, all of a sudden things become a whole lot clearer to us. All of a sudden things become like we, we kind of know what to do. And even if we don't know what to do, we're at peace, right? And so... In his presence, we can see what the Father is doing and cooperate with that. Jesus said in John 5, 19, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And that's to be us as well, to see what the Father is doing and do it. The experience of God flowing out of a life of worship affects all the areas of our life. So now, I'm not talking about just our worship here. I mean, obviously, that's part of it. But when we worship at home, too, that should be a part of your daily life, to worship God. Because, again, it's in that time where we can take our minds off of the wind and the waves around us, and we see him, and everything else fades away. And then our lives can move forward with God's purposes in mind rather than ours. Next, to confront injustice, go inward before you engage anywhere else. So the issue of racial injustice is at the surface right now. And it always has been. It's always been there, right? But recent events have made us even more aware of it and are often our lack of understanding in it. And if we approach this as, as followers of Christ, if we approach this as if we already know everything, 
that is, does not reflect the love of God in any way. So we can't assume that we're clear of incorrect perceptions and even racist thought. We just can't assume that, right? Um, I listened to a pastor named Jordan Rice talk about this recently. Um, and so this, is, this was his, because I feel like, let me just say it bluntly, I feel like I have to listen to black leadership to know what to do in this situation. Because I don't know from, I can't, I don't know what it feels like to be black. Do you know what it feels like? I don't know what it feels like. So I think that listening to black pastors and people in spiritual leadership who can, who can lead us and guide us in this is very, very important. And this is Jordan Rice I was listening to, and, and he, this is what he said. Go inward before you, because we want to charge hell with a water pistol, and that's all good. But we have to look on the inside first. Um, so he, he said, the first place we go is often the last place we want to go. Because none of us want to think that we might have any of that in our hearts. I don't. Um, but if we don't look at the ways that racist notions may have been nurtured in us, our engagement with the cause is going to be shallow and prideful. And it's not going to be based in, in, in truth and humility. So we'll be attacking things conceptually rather than personally. And it's not helpful. So a good example of this in the Bible um, so y'all maybe know the story of David and Bathsheba. And David had the affair with Bathsheba, and then he was like, okay, now I got to get rid of, because he got her pregnant. Now I got to get rid of her husband, right? So then David sends her husband to the front of the battle lines so that he'll be killed. And um, Nathan, the prophet, came in to see David, and he tells him a story about a rich man and a poor man and how the poor man had a lamb that he cared very deeply for and it was his only lamb and the rich man had lots but he had a, he had a visitor come and he took the poor man's lamb and killed it for his guest. And what did David do when he heard this story? Tell me who this is. I'm so outraged. I'm going to kill him. And Nathan was like, that's you. Don't we do that, though? We see, we see behavior in others, and we, and we think, oh, that's just not right. And you're right, it's not right. But have we looked here to see what's in our own hearts first? And we don't want to see that, right? <laughs> that's painful and hurtful. Remember, David was just broken. But that's where we have to start. So ask yourself the hard questions and ask God to search your heart. Psalm 139, God search me and know me. Any wicked way in me, show me what it is. So after we're, we look and work inward, seek to reconcile people with God and all creation. Because Jesus came to break down divisions. Galatians 3.28 says, 
There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there's power in the cross to reconcile what's been separated by sin. And this requires us to move beyond our personal preferences and to engage with those that are perceived to be unlike us. And to actively break down barriers of race, culture, gender, ethnicity, social class. And we could spend a long time talking about all the ways that Jesus did this. He did this. I mean, he had women as disciples. (gasps) There were women prophets in the Bible. Did y'all know that? I know, it's shocking. We don't talk about them too much. Deborah was a judge, right? And Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman, which was scandalous for his time. It really was. He didn't ascribe to the cultural norms, but he sought to bring healing and freedom and to break those divides. Um, He befriended tax collectors. Tax collectors were despised. Um, He ate with all kinds of people. And he didn't have to agree with people or their approach to life in order to show love to them. Did you guys hear that? We don't have to agree with people in order to love them. We know that, but it's a whole lot harder to do, isn't it? Yes. But we cannot be satisfied with the status quo when it doesn't reflect the kingdom reality. Right? Every race, tribe, tongue, nation. Um. So we need to be eager to pray for and pursue the breaking through of God's kingdom in our midst. So that pastor I talked to you about before, Jordan Rice, he gave us some questions to ask ourselves. Here's what you can ask yourself. So because let's say we've done our our inward work or we're beginning to do our inward work and we we want to begin to engage in this. Ask yourself, where is God calling me to get involved today? So in, in any cause that we feel passionate about, uh, we get paralyzed because we think of, when we think about all the work that needs to be done, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So we have to shrink it down and ask God, where do you want me to get involved today? So um, recently, because if you look at the plight of children in um, foster care and children who have been abused, it looks like it's impossible to fix. So, um, and obviously, you know, we do camp, but um, so we have somebody in our church who felt like they wanted to do something and their heart was burdened for the children that we serve. And so she felt like God told her, bake cakes. Y'all know who I'm talking You're all looking at her. <sighs> yes, it was Tom. <laughs> she said I could talk about her today. Um, so God told her very clearly to bake cakes. Now, she is not a cake decorator. It looks like she is, right? If you've seen her cakes, they look like profesh, right? <laughs> But um, so she said, yes, yes. That's the thing that God told her she could do today. 
So she did it. So she decided, okay, her goal was 250, right, in the, in, in a, within a month's time, right? And she got that $250 in the first 12 days. <laughs> so she's like, well, maybe I'll keep going. <laughs> so she baked for what, how many months? Six weeks. Six weeks and raised $1,000. So, yeah, that's awesome. So think about that. God gave her something to do. Just, it seems like a small thing, right? Bake cakes. That seems like a very small thing. But because of her obedience to that thing that she could do today, two kids get to go to camp. Two kids are funded for camp. Like, see how God can do that. So we, all we have to do, we can't, we, she's not adopting all of the children in foster care, right? She baked cakes, and she's changing lives because of, she obeyed the simple things that, you know, so that's what we have to do is just say, good God, what could I do today? What, what could you have me do today? Another question is to ask is, what has God given you a burden for? And even within specific areas like foster care or the racial issues or whatever, what is God giving you a burden for? Because you probably won't get the mission, what God has for you to do until you get the burden. Now that doesn't mean we don't do things when we see a need, obviously. But remember when um, Moses was, um, God spoke to him through the burning bush about setting the Israelites free. But before that, God allowed Moses to go see how his people were being treated by the Egyptians. And what did Moses do? He took matters in his own hands, and he killed the guy. And so that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to take matters into our own hands, but see how God allowed him to, to feel that strong burden. And then when God called him, it was like, I mean, yeah, he argued a little bit, but don't we all? <laughs> But then he went, he did it, right? So ask you, ask, what's God giving you a burden for? And then the third question is, what are your day-to-day interactions? What are your day-to-day interactions? So maybe this is with people of color that you can learn from. Maybe this is with other people like you who are driving you nuts because they really don't think they have anything to learn we still have to be gracious with them and walk with them on their journey because everybody's going to be at a different place in this journey. And what we tend to do is get frustrated with people who aren't at the same place we are or who aren't as passionate about it as we are. And we have, you know, like we think, well, why can't they just see? Well, they're not there yet. So in our day-to-day interactions, we have to be able to walk with people graciously on their journey and follow Jesus in the process, right? Again, it all goes back to partnering with the Holy Spirit. Um, Lastly, engage in compassionate ministry. So here we are, we're going to engage. So what does that mean? Because you might think, well, I'm not in ministry. We think of ministry as something that pastors do or Um, missionaries, but if you're a child of God, you are called to ministry. Um, And to engage in compassionate ministry is to lean toward the lost, 
the poor, the outcast, and the outsider with the compassion of Jesus. So we've received the mercy of God, and we need to be willing to give it away. And it's not out of a sense of duty, but it flows from the love and the mercy and the grace that's been lavished on us. Just like we sang this morning about the reckless love of God and how he chases after us, he pursues us. And so because we're grateful for that, then we can extend that to others, right? And sometimes God's pursuit of someone else is through you. And so we have to be open to that. Compassion isn't simply kindness and sympathy. Compassion means to suffer with. It means to enter into the pain of others. And we don't like to do that. But it's what Jesus did. Um, it said to, you know, that we were called to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in order to do that, we, ha- we have to be led in compassion. So it's about breaking down barriers and stereotypes and engaging our hearts on a deeper level to move past the fear of getting in too deep, Um, of failing, because you're going to fail. You are. You're going to mess up. I know that I have in trying to, you know, learn about... Uh, racial racial reconciliation and, and equality and all those things, I have messed up. But that's how we learn. To move, if, if we never move forward, if we're, not, if we're too afraid of messing up, we're never going to grow. So we have to be okay with that. Um, and we have to move past the fear of sharing and the reality of someone else's suffering. That is really, really hard to do. But once you've, I mean, that's, in order to enter in and um, meet them where they are, that's, that's how they're changed, and that's how they're transformed, and, and then it transforms us. And compassion is to avoid unauthorized judgments of others. We can't be thinking about how they ended up this way. Did they deserve to be in the position they're in? Well, did they provoke this? That's not compassion. Did Jesus ask us those questions before he set us free? (laughs) He did not. We're all struggling and in need of grace. All of us. And we have to see one another that way. And we have to see others that way. And it can be messy. It will be messy and complicated. And it will most certainly be humbling. But it is the way that Jesus loves And compassion also involves serving others in concrete ways, meeting physical needs and serving the poor as if it were Jesus himself. So Jesus didn't just proclaim. He demonstrated his compassion for physical needs, right? He was moved with compassion and healed people of physical disease. He fed 5,000 people lunch because he cared about them and their physical needs. And so I think that most of us no longer believe that just talking about the good news of Jesus is enough. We can't just talk about it. We have to demonstrate it. We have to show it with, with acts of service, right? It's a both and. It's not one or the other. We need to look at meeting physical and spiritual needs. So as we wrap up, maybe there's an area that we talked about that God highlighted to you. 
Um, if he did, I encourage you to lean into that. No matter how uncomfortable it may make you. And if not, if maybe you don't feel like there was anything, I'd encourage you to ask yourself a few questions. Am I talking about change that needs to happen without actively pursuing it? Or without looking into my own heart to see if the change needs to take place there? Because aren't we quick to talk about, oh, that needs to change, that, that. Do I compartmentalize my life or do I allow the Holy Spirit to lead in every area? Do I shy away from entering into the pain of others? And what are some of the messages I've heard and believed about race? Because, I mean, I grew up in a fairly diverse environment. Our, our schools were um, integrated so that we would be diverse. So we would get bused across town and other people would get bused across town so that everybody was like, there was a big mix of race in our, um, in our schools. And I had friends of other races, right? But that doesn't mean that there aren't preconceived notions I might have because the environment that I was in wasn't always friendly to those mixes. And we can't expect to be rained on and stay dry. <laughs> if it was around you, it probably affected you in some way. So we have to think about those things. And we have to let God search our hearts in those things. And as I said before, none of us know all the answers to bring about the change our world needs, but the Holy Spirit does. And as we partner with him, he's going to lead us in little ways that are going to invoke bigger change. Think about it. If we all changed like, and became more compassionate like Jesus, how the world could change. And as we worship, we're going to see better what God's doing in the world, and we're going to gain more of his heart for others. So um, we're going to worship with one more song, and I just want you to let him speak to you. Let him open your heart to the things that maybe you don't want to look at. But whenever God exposes something in us that we don't like, like he's quick to work in it. So he doesn't expose that thing. Oh, look at how ugly this is. Now what are you going to do about it? That's not Jesus. He says, look at this, but I want to heal it. I'm going to change it for you. And here's what I want you to do. Right? He gives us, he gives us everything we need. So don't be afraid of it. Just lean into it. Let him speak to you this morning. The worship team, go ahead and come on up. And the, I just encourage you to, to seek God in this. Get prayer if you need it. Let him speak to your heart this morning.